Okay, cowboy, here's the odds. The time has come. Time for adventure. It's nail-biting time again. And this time, this time, this time with a vengeance. This time, it's personal. It couldn't possibly get any worse. This time, it's personal with a vengeance. Welcome back to Attack of the Third. I am your host, Night Owl Joe. And I am darn that Dave. And this episode, we are covering one of my personal favorite movies, Die Hard with a Vengeance. All right. So you finally you finally pulled out the big guns. We have like a strange connection between our last two movies. We just did The Exorcist 3, which had uh, an early performance from Samuel L. Jackson. Um, and we, you know, moved to Die Hard with a Vengeance, kind of starring Samuel yeah. Jackson, like oh, kind yeah. of e- even with with Bruce Willis here. So um, so what's your what's your history with with Die Hard? OK, uh, so I, I actually vividly remember the first time I saw Die Hard and it, it was, you know, my parents were excited to show it to me, even my mom, surprisingly, because she hates movies that are excessively violent or movies with too much swearing or uh, movies and nudity and Die Hard like ticks all the fucking boxes, you know, but she acknowledged it was such a good movie and so entertaining that she was willing to, you know, watch it with me. I must have been like 12 years old, you know, and I remember sitting there and I was blown away by it, you know. And then at some point later on, I saw Die Hard 2, which I also really like. And then I was in Philly for, uh, for, for family reasons at one point, and I rented Die Hard with a Vengeance on pay-per-view, which, mm. which is definitely a thing that existed at one point. That's crazy. <laughs> I haven't thought about pay-per-view in a long time. <laughs> yep. And it was another situation where my mom actually called my dad and asked him, uh, mm. is Die Hard 3 okay for Joseph to watch? And my dad's like, I remember it being okay. I don't think there's as much swearing as the other ones. I feel like that's your dad's <laughs> answer to everything. 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 Like, I, I, I think it was okay. Yeah. I, I wonder if he was just sort of like, um, like subconsciously doing me a solid, just like right. letting me just watch let it all happen. these. Yeah, just let it happen. <laughs> Um, so I was, you know, uh, you know, interesting. No, I, I wasn't taken with it the first, the first time I watched it. I thought it was, you know, it was fun, but for the longest time, it was my least favorite of the three. I think because it no. was the most unconventional of the three. Joseph, it, Joseph. It, bear with me, you- bear with me. I expected another situation, another claustrophobic situation. I didn't really appreciate sure. how it, uh, you know, escalated into more of a, a rampaging buddy cop movie felt very different than the diehard formula to me at the time. And then one day I bought the, at the time it was all four movies and that's all that exists. There's only four diehard movies, Dave. I <laughs> bought the box set and I rewatched them. And like the third one just jumped the fuck out at me. And I was like, what the shit is this? Like, is this my favorite now? And of course mm-hmm. it is. It's like, this okay. is my favorite diehard movie. Okay. So my, my history with, with diehard, I guess it's a little strange. It's not Die Hard. I didn't see, I don't think until I was in high school. Um, like I had always heard about it, of course, like it's, you know, the right. action movie, blah, blah, blah. But of you course. know, c- couldn't see R-rated movies when I was a kid. So I just missed it. And then I, I had a friend who was like, what? You haven't <laughs> seen Die Hard? What the? No, we, this cannot stand. Yeah. So he, and this was after the third one had come out on video. Right. And they had the, like, you know, the trilogy set, mm-hmm. right? So we watched all of them back to back to back. Um, and so here's here's my ranking for Die Hard. Um, <laughs> I think I think Die Hard with a Vengeance is the most fun. It's it's my favorite. It's the one I return to most often. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but but the first Die Hard is a perfect action movie. Like yeah. it's just it, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think the reason it stands apart maybe from the third one is <laughs> he still has a relationship he actually cares about and it's convincing. Yeah. Definitely. Um, whereas this is very like, you know, she's the nagging ex-wife on the phone. Like, eh, <laughs> not great. Um, uh, but I think Die Hard 2 is a terrible movie. Like, it's a bad, bad, really? bad movie. I I do not own the second one. I own one and three. Uh, and uh, and four, actually. I own one, three, and four. I don't own two because I know I'll never watch it. Like, why would I why would I buy that? Because it's it's just really? they just tried to redo the first one, but in a fucking airport, like it's stupid. 
It's horrible. Like, I don't like it. I do not like that movie at all. Um, I wouldn't even like it if the first one wasn't that good. Like, if you watch that in a vacuum, I just think it's not a very good movie. It's not very entertaining. It's not very funny. The action doesn't really work for me. First one is great. Second one's terrible. So after I'd seen the second one, I was like, I don't know. Do I really need to watch the third one? Like, that was pretty bad. He's like, no, no, you got to watch the third one. Sam Jackson's in it. I'm like, okay, okay. So I watch it and I'm completely blown away. Like it is so much fun. Uh, and it, uh, watching it this time, um, you know, it's interesting. Like it definitely holds up. Still a very good movie. Still my favorite to watch out of all the diehard movies. Uh, but there's like two things that like I, I could see it. Like if I watch it another five years, maybe not having as good a reaction. Like it, it's racial politics are like uh, very surface level. Like it's, it's, it's very plot driven. So like as someone in 2021, I'm like, uh, are we really going to have a movie where we like insinuate or flat out say that Sam Jackson is racist? Cause he doesn't like white people. Like I'm like, <laughs> this is not great. And it's like, it's at the precipice where everything goes wrong for the diehard franchise. Uh, so stay with me here. I still really like this movie, but the problem with the diehard franchise is it starts out as a man against all odds who is constantly fucking up and constantly getting hurt. And you truly are frightened for him because he's overwhelmed. Right. Right. Uh, the third one, it's getting close to that. Like John McClane is a superhero thing where he's like, you know, getting shot out of a, out of a sewer system at high <laughs> at as fast as you can go. And he's like, he just lands in mud and he's fine. And it, and it tips over the edge of that. Once you get to like uh number four, which I still kind of like, but there is no risk anymore. Like you're not scared for what's going to happen to John McClane. You're just like, yeah, it's going to be fine. Uh, this movie gets close to that, but it's still, it's still okay. It's still, it still is a really fun villain. Um, uh, you know, no disrespect uh, to Alan Rickman, who I think is wonderful in the first movie, but this might be my favorite villain performance uh, in 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 the entire franchise. Like I I think, and it's a very different kind of performance, right? Like he's very funny in here. He's very full of himself, yeah. whereas like Hans Gruber is very passionate about what he's doing, and it's yeah. a very different it's a very different kind of setup. But like again, it goes back to that favorite versus best thing uh-huh. like this is the villain performance that i like <laughs> I, I think maybe hans gruber is a better villain objectively uh-huh. but this is so much more fun he is really chewing the scenery he's like that line reading of hook line and zinka hook line and zinka yes it's like maybe maybe the greatest <laughs> villain line in any movie like i just i adore it and i love how he is just chewing on every line and really going for it because john mcclain is hungover and like uh past his prime so he's not going to be the guy who's going to get your rah-rah moments yeah so it's kind of left to either the villain or sam jackson's character yeah and i you'll have to pardon me for a second bear with me here i'm just i was literally jaw agape for like a solid minute coming to the uh, understanding that you hate Die Hard 2. Sucks, man. I can't understand it. This is more shocking to me than your <laughs> hate of Alien 3. I didn't think it was possible to like feel so strongly about Die Hard it is, 2. It is a better movie than Alien 3 because it's actually a movie. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I gotta process this. Like, yeah, there's It's repetitive, <laughs> sure, but I mean, it's the same thing with like Rambo Part 2. You know, you already know that like the stakes are slightly diminished because it's a also sequel. bad. No, no, Dave. <laughs> God damn it! I'll table that Rambo time for now. <laughs> Anyways, you're absolutely right about about Jeremy Irons, and I love the fact that the movie doesn't lead with him showing up. Unlike right? Die Hard, doesn't kick off till you see Hans Gerber. You know, you don't. Yep see jeremy irons until well into the fucking movie yeah allows him to make one hell of an entrance with with so little in the scene around him literally it's him on a rooftop just chewing scenery for the camera with like one line of dialogue (laughs) and it's fucking great you know the way he snarls when he says line you know hook line (laughs) 
It's great. I fucking love it. And I don't think I had ever really paid attention to his, you know, introduction to the movie before because I've seen it maybe at least once a year since the first time I saw it. Mm. This is like an annual favorite. Like there will be a point inevitably in the year where I'm like, all right, it's Die Hard with a Vengeance time. And I just bust out the snacks and it's just a good fucking time. I never have any complaints about this movie like that. And, you know, so I kind of take it for granted, you know, it's so good uh, and and so easy to watch. So rewatchable that I do take it for granted a little bit. It is so easy to watch. That's a perfect description. Like, absolutely. You don't have to think about it. Like it it, it does keep you guessing the first couple of times you watched it. It's not like it's a stupid movie, but it's like, you just kind of ease into it. Like, oh, this is nice. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a cinematic comfort food, you know, and, you know, watching it this time, actually paying slightly more attention than usual because I'm taking notes for the podcast. The, the Jeremy Irons performance really stood out to me this time. So much fun because he's having fun. a great time. (laughs) Like not just the actor, but the character, you know, Simon Groover. Uh, he's loving this like every step of the way he's fucking around with John right. McClane just like jerking him around the whole fucking city <laughs> to, the, to the point where the, the guys working with him are like are you fucking kidding are you, me are you will, you just shoot, will you just shoot this motherfucker already like like how long does this have to go on and actually that makes me think of something that I really love about this movie is that it would be very easy and the movie would still be good if you made the twist of who he was be at the end of the movie uh-huh. I love the fact that you find that out like an hour in. Yeah. Like they just tell you like, oh, his birth name is blah, 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 Gruber. Like, oh, shit. And you have that moment, <laughs> right? But yeah. that, that's not the twist, Yeah. right? The twist is like, oh, no, he really is just a money-hungry criminal. Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> I it's love like, that it has those kind of two twists in there. Because yeah. it feels like that should be the moment. But like when you find out who he really is, oh, my God. That feels like that should be like 90 minutes into a two hour yeah. movie. Yeah. And it's like 45 minutes to an hour in. And you're like, oh, where do we where do we go from here? Exactly. exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Right. And, and, and that was that was the ace up his sleeve because, you know, it's in the title Die Hard with a Vengeance. So you're going into it expecting a revenge story and, and your suspicions are validated when they sort of reveal that hand to you that, oh, this is Simon Gruber's, you know, Hans Gruber's brother. You're like, yeah. oh no, he's doing this to get back into claim. <laughs> and, you know, of course that ends up not being the case. And what a smart move because how many fucking movies have we seen where the villains like you killed my brother. That's why I have done literally <laughs> everything. Now I am going to kill you after fucking you around for like, you know, a whole goddamn day instead, you know, don't play with your fucking food. <laughs> um, but here, the the villain is smart enough to use that vengeance, you know, ploy as a, a red herring for what he's actually yeah. doing. Yeah, you know. And I thought, wow, you know, that's that's pretty good. That's a fucking good villain. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. I mean, it's it's something that like it's it's weird. Like every time I watch it, like I kind of forget. Like as you think about, it, you're like, oh yeah, I know where this is going. I remember yeah. this again. But like. As the movie starts, you're like, oh, yeah, it's Hans Gruber's brother. Like, that's uh-huh. the whole thing about this movie. You're like, actually, none of that. I mean, it matters. But, like, that's not the point of what he's doing. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is so much fun. Like, oh, yeah. And, and you know, it's uh, this movie. It has, you know, the, the introduction is certainly memorable. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, you have Bruce Willis walking around with a sign with a racial slur on it. Yep. It's a lot. Um, yeah. walking through Harlem with a racial slur. That's a, that's a choice. Um, and I have to say, like, I like Bruce Willis. So, you know, I think he's, you know, especially in this role, he's, yeah. he's, he's great in the first one and good, uh-huh. fine to good in the rest of them. But I really think Sam Jackson carries this movie uh, in terms of the good guys. Like, I think if you, if you take out that element, like, I don't think this movie works at all. Like, I think you need the humor of Sam Jackson and, re- and right then in his career, he wasn't, I mean, he was known, but he wasn't like a major star, right? Yeah. He wasn't like Sam Jackson of MCU fame. Like he was yeah. just Sam yeah, yeah. Jackson who had been, frankly, mostly in a bunch of black movies, right? So yeah. like maybe white audiences weren't as aware of him, certainly not name recognition. Right. So he has to like have that balance of being a character who is pretty radical in his look at race. 
uh, especially yeah. to white folks watching this movie, yeah. but also be genuinely a character that you like. Yeah. You know, like, and I think he manages that balance so perfectly. I can't think of anyone who could do it better. Like it kind of like begins with me like, Hey man, you okay? Like, yeah. 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 What's Are going you having on? having a good day? <laughs> right. Good morning. Good morning. You having a nice day, sir? You feeling all right? You know, and all the way down to like, no, my name's not Jesus. It's hey, it's Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I'm sorry you got involved. Why do you keep calling right? me Jesus? I was Puerto Rican to you. Guy back there called you Jesus. He didn't say Jesus. He said, hey, Zeus. My name is Zeus. Zeus? Yeah, Zeus. As in Father of Apollo, Mount Olympus. Don't fuck with me or I'll shove a lightning bolt up your ass. Zeus, you got a problem with that? No. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. You know, and only he could deliver that line oh. about lightning bolts. <laughs> only he could deliver that line and have it be both intimidating and funny. Like, I think other actors, you'd have to pick one. Yeah. But Sam Jackson is just absolutely pitch perfect casting here. Like, he really makes the movie for me. Because, yes, Jeremy Irons is great, but, like, he's there in... He's like seasoning in this movie. Yeah. Like he pops up here and there. He's mainly a voice <laughs> for the first 20 minutes. And then he pops up in a scene here and there until the end. Then he becomes much more of a major part. Yeah. But really, it's about Sam Jackson. Oh, right. Yeah. Like that. This is what this movie is about. And he earns every moment of screen time. Yeah. And I, you're you're absolutely correct. And I I don't think I'd really you know, grok that from a, a distance perspective before. Like this movie is endlessly quotable, at least, you know, for me and mine. And, mm -hmm. you know, I have an uncle named Jesus. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> we, we, uh, we've messed with him with that a, a few times. Even my mom, she got in a, but all, all the lines that we quote, they're Sam Jackson's lines, you know, right. The way he delivers them, the, the, like you said, both intimidating and funny. And I definitely wanted to talk about how the Die Hard movies have sort of progressed with John McClane. He's you mean kind of, regressed? He, yeah, yeah. He's kind <laughs> of a fucking loser in this one. And I love oh, that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think people nowadays that are casting Bruce Willis for, you know, 15 minutes in their direct-to-video action movie that <laughs> probably stars Frank Grillo or something, um, right. they should stop casting Bruce Willis as a badass. Oh, and yeah. start casting him as a fuck up again because those I are love that, I love that the whole movie's like God, can I just get some aspirin like I just like <laughs> I have never related to Bruce Willis more than in this movie like to the very end when he thinks they're strapped to like a bomb as big as a boat and it's like so ridiculous and you and the whole time he's like I got a bad fucking headache yeah. like I'm just like I love <laughs> that <laughs> moment it's just one thing I gotta know Got any aspirins? I've had a bad fucking headache all day long. <laughs> Must be a lucky day. You know, and, and I love that even, you know, Simon, Jeremy Irons' character at that moment is totally entertained by him. He laughs like, at yeah. Like, he's not only entertained by the game and what he's put himself through, but, like, he, it's weird. It's a weird um, villain relationship. And I think the best hero-villain relationships work this way. Yeah. Not that he, like, respects him necessarily, but he's, like, engaged by him. He's and he's entertained. He's yeah. very amused, like... Oh yeah, I put you through this and you still, man, you are like a bad penny. Like you yeah. just keep popping up. Like, uh, and he feels the same way about about Zeus. Like, you know, yeah. you know, he calls him the Samaritan, uh -huh. like the whole movie. And it's like <laughs> and, and he brings up actually a really good point when Sam Jackson's character is like, Why are you killing me? I didn't do anything. He's like, You jump down here, man. Like, I didn't like, ask you to like, get come on my fucking boat. <laughs> right. <laughs> like you made that choice. You need to live with it. Like, yep. and like it's so, so great. And I also think a lot of the secondary cop characters are really great. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the fact that the death of one of one of those characters actually ends up meaning something with the badge, the badge number that he always yeah. plays, you uh -huh. know, and, and McLean remembers that. And also the like the like, you know, the funny, creepy little bomb expert guy, I think, is probably a highlight uh, of the movie, like <laughs> Absolutely. just from the very beginning. We're he like throws the paper clip and someone <laughs> screams at him and he's like, hey, fun stuff, you know, like he's having a great time, you know, yeah. it's, that stuff really, really works for me. And like, I, I think it's a movie that is shockingly efficient. Uh -huh. Like there are no side character moments that don't matter. 
Like even right. the very beginning, which could have just been a moment for Sam Jackson to show that he protects his community and he cares about these kids. The the whole plot line with those kids like comes to fruition. Like they yeah. think you know, one of them thinks the cops is there because they boosted the stereo. So they yep. go and hide and that throws everything else into motion. Like there's no wasted effort in this movie. And this is a movie yeah. that could have it could have a lot of wasted effort. It could oh, have yeah. a lot of moments that are just there for show. But there's nothing here that is for show like it it really works on kind of every level and honestly you could watch this movie without seeing the first movie i wouldn't recommend it because the first movie is a stone cold classic but if you just wanted to watch this one you (laughs) absolutely could right like you don't need because they have that moment where they show hans gruber falling from the top of nakatomi and you're like oh that's what happened okay that's all i need to know this guy hates him because he murdered his brother okay done ready to go. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a movie that just like doesn't waste any effort. And it's like, it's, and for, you know, it's an action movie. That's a rarity in that genre. Action movies are big and bombastic and let's face it, goddamn ridiculous. Yeah. I love them for what they are, but they are ridiculous. Um, and it's rare that you get one that's, that works on a story level as well yeah. as Die Hard with a Vengeance does. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I definitely agree. And one thing I, de- I wanted to point out was how well it's edited, you know, and the mm. camera work and the editing go hand in hand. I love like there's one shot from the inside of the car, the, the cab that McLean and um, uh, Zeus end up, you know, hijacking for their purposes. The camera starts pointing at traffic. And then as they zip by the semi truck, it whips to Samuel Jackson's reactions. It's such a great mm. shot. And the movie's full of those little flourishes where like, you know, it, it ends up at, at a, a much more dynamic point than when it starts. And like your eye just follows the action so seamlessly. You yeah. said it's like shockingly efficient. There's so many like wonderful little touches like that on every level of the production. Like yeah. when, when McLean is shot out of the, the valve, the aqueduct valve, uh, there's like this little flourish in the, in the score of singing in the rain. It's like, oh, yeah. uh-huh. I love that. And in, and later in that same sequence um, in the car chase, you know, we've seen a million car chases where the hero whips the car around and does some crazy shit. But this one, you actually, he has to have Zeus tear out the freaking, yeah, you know, the analog the, brakes. The analog yeah. brakes. It was such a cool scene that like escalated the stakes a little, you know, and like grounded it that much more. And the framing of that shot where he whips the car around, sticking the gun out the window, such a cool fucking scene. Yeah. So as you as you were talking, I saw something online that I just like I can't process uh-huh. about this movie. So do you know who Aldous Hodge is? No. Okay, did you see The Invisible Man that came out last year? Yes. Okay, you remember the like the cop who was helping protect her? The like the the black actor who was like extremely well built in yeah. that movie? Yes. He was he was also in One Night in Miami playing Jim Brown. Yes. He was one of the one of the kids in the very beginning with with Sam Jackson who had stolen the stereo. Really? And that is and that is like blowing my mind right now. Like the the math adds up as far as the timing of when this movie came out uh, and it is like really messing with me right now. Like it just, it popped up in the, in the Wikipedia thing. And I was like, what? Yeah. He played, he played Raymond in this movie that like, it's like, what? This is crazy. That's I I have to like, you know, pull up uh, a then and now thing side by side. Cause that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, (laughs) but we shouldn't be surprised that this movie is so efficient and so well done. I mean, John McTiernan, the man, when it comes to when it comes to action movies, like I, he's like weirdly underrated, like at this point, like maybe because it's been so long uh, since since he's, you know, since Die Hard. But like, we shouldn't be surprised because the man knows what he's doing as far as action. I, 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 I wouldn't say under under underrated i would say underseen at this point mm, i think people take him sure. for granted you know right. um i mean every every top 10 list of action movies either has die hard one or three on it you know and then somebody yeah. always mentions hunt for red october that was him wasn't it yep and predator yeah, okay and predator. also directed predator <clears throat> yeah 
interestingly enough, I, I love how uh, annoyed I can make certain fanboys on the internet when I tell them that Die Hard and Predator both exist to skewer 80s macho masculinity. Oh, fuck yeah, they do. They don't, yeah. they don't get it, you know? It's like, I love that Die Hard, like the first one, the main core of the plot is about, you know, the hero learning that he should uh, appreciate his wife more, that he should apologize to her, right. you know, right. and like the whole movie, he's like kicking himself for this, you know, and all the, like the macho badass is in the movie, like the FBI agents, the SWAT guys, they're all freaking idiots, you know? Yep. Like yep. the SWAT guy, like they're ready to go in. They're going to kick ass. And he like cuts his hand on the rose bush. Like it's pretty, yeah. like, ow, <laughs> you know, the whole yeah. time. So the only guy in the movie, the only two guys in the movie who really come through this as anything, even resembling, you know, a masculine ideal is the, the black cop. Um, I forget his name. Somebody's going to roast me about that later. But <laughs> the fact that he, shows vulnerability over the course of the movie, even though his storyline is kind of aged like milk in the way that it resolves itself. The fact that him and McLean, the, some of their best interplay is moments of vulnerability the entire time, you know, and McLean being both physically and emotionally vulnerable, uh, you know, it really flips that masculinity concept on its head. And then again, with predator, that big sequence where they're all just shooting their guns and hitting nothing. Mm -hmm. People still don't fucking get what that scene, you know, is about. They, they yep. see it as some gung ho action scene, but it's not because they're worthless. not fucking shooting at anything. They're yep. literally wasting ammo. Yep. And yep. people get so fucking pissed off when I point all this out to them. Oh I yeah. No, it's, it. it's absolutely true. And like, you know, you look at McTiernan, we mentioned some of his movies, but like, listen to this, like murderers row. Of movies. Okay? okay. So you got Predator, Die Hard, Hunt for Red October, Stone Cold Classics, right? Yep. Yep. Three for three. And then you got like a, a movie that was maligned upon release, but has gotten like a kind of uh, people have taken another look at his last action hero, which Love is another movie. skewering of the genre, which is yeah. really good. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Um, the 13th Warrior, another underseen, very yeah. good movie. Yeah. And the Thomas Crown Affair. Yeah. Like these are great, great, great movies. Oh, like, yeah. This is, I remember when I was starting another one of my podcasts, when I used to do that directed by podcast, one of the questions I asked that started is like, who's on your, your Mount Rushmore of directors. And like, there's an argument for McTiernan yeah. to be on there. Like if you yeah. look at that grouping, holy crap, that is really impressive stuff. And, and you're right. Most of those movies are either skewering of the action drama or of men mm -hmm. of, of hyper-masculinity. Yeah. And I mean, it's so funny because there are there are moments in Predator that I, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, that rules. And I watch now um, and I'm like, I was not in on that joke. Like like I like I ain't got time to bleed. Like that is that is a line that is supposed to be ridiculous. Like it's not supposed to be cool. Jesse Ventura is not cool. He's a jackass. Like in the whole movie is like that. It's I mean, it, you know, not to get too much onto Predator, but I think it's uh, it's not a mistake that the way that Arnold finally gets, you know, gets able to grapple with this creature is when he goes into hiding and he covers himself. It's not him standing and challenging him to a fight. It's things that you would see as like, quote unquote, not masculine, like setting traps and hiding and, you know, hiding the heat signature and all that stuff. It is not it's not commando. Yeah, absolutely. Right? He's not invincible. And I think right. it's it's such an amazing job that McTiernan did. And this is going to tie back into with a vengeance uh, in a second here. But like he took Arnold, who was at the height of his fame and popularity from Conan and the Terminator, playing these utterly indestructible characters, put him in a movie where he had to be broken down and vulnerable and his mm -hmm. muscles didn't mean a goddamn thing. His guns didn't mean a goddamn thing. And he was just, you know, beaten to a fucking pulp, even in the climax of the movie. Yeah. He, had just his brain. he had to use his brain, which is the same thing that he made John McClane do in Die Hard. <laughs> He put him through the ringer. He forced him to think. And you know what? That makes for a damn good movie because it's compelling. You know, there's right. there's a catharsis to seeing somebody like Schwarzenegger, Stallone, mow down hordes of bad guys, but it's not compelling. It's just viscerally satisfying, but it doesn't do anything for the, the logical aspect of your brain. It doesn't do anything for that underdog sense. 
He made Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger an underdog in his own movie. Right. You know? And I think I think this movie is also compelling in that way because yeah, mm-hmm. he has to use his brain, but he also has to trust people. Exactly. Like, yeah. You know, obviously Zeus, right? I mean, yep. and and I like the fact that he's the one, even though it doesn't quite make sense, he's the one who figures out the you know the the water jug thing. Like they they take some shortcuts in that scene because <laughs> I looked it up. I'm like that. No, that doesn't make sense. But they, you know, it's for a movie, so they got to make it quick. I get that. Yeah. Um, and there's another sequence where you know he's got to figure out who's the 21st president, right? Yeah. Um, and I love the fact that he finds it from this, you know, kind of, you know, kind of annoying guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is full of little facts, but there's Jerry. not a single <laughs> Jerry. Yeah. But there's not a single sequence in that in the scenes with Jerry where you see Bruce Willis rolling his eyes or treating him like garbage, like shut the fuck up, Jerry, which yeah. to be fair, I probably would have done. So, <laughs> so I like the fact that his kindness in that moment is rewarded. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. It's re- like, so Jerry tells him that's where it is. And then you can kind of go on from there. So I like the fact that, you know, <laughs> it's different from the first Die Hard, where, you know, I, I mean, I guess it's not because he's depending on Reginald Bill Johnson's character yeah, yeah. Uh, in that movie a lot. But that's like over a distance. Right. It's someone yeah. it's like the connection to the real world. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is him actually having to interact. And it's kind of that thing you talked about where you were kind of taken aback by it, that this is not an insular movie. Right. Yeah. This is a yeah, yeah. big, brash, bold, and it stretches across an entire city. Yeah. Like that. That's one of the the more difficult parts of his mission here is just like getting around in New York. Like, how do I, Yeah. <laughs> how do I get across town <laughs> in 20 minutes? Have you been to New York? It's fucking yeah. impossible. And, and two things here. One, this movie definitely hits different for me after I've been to New York several times. Oh yeah. Uh, especially having come from, you know, uh, my background in the Midwest. Um, it's and slightly the, different setup. Oh yeah. yeah. A little bit, a little bit. Um, <laughs> the, the second thing is uh, I, I think, what what you gotta answer me this when's the last time you saw die hard 2 mm. was it only that one time or have you ever ever revisited you no know, I, I went back and rewatched it to make sure i was right and i was uh, god uh, damn it dave so but it's no. probably been it's probably been like 10 years at this point okay so if it's the same thing you're talking about here about him relying on other people that was even in the second movie you know with uh the airport janitor and the other guys in the in the tower that one, I think, set the concept of it being more of an ensemble piece. Since mm. it was oh, more... so let me let me correct. Um, so he depends on other people, and it works. Yeah, that's the that's the difference. Like it works in a movie. Uh, in Die Hard Two, it doesn't work because that movie sucks. So this is the first time it finally works. <laughs> you are testing my capabilities to stay on topic, Dave. Um, <laughs> Thank God this is not Attack of the Second, because this would be a very different episode. Yes, it would be very different. (laughs) Anyways, um, regardless, I I like that it's a consistent thematic point throughout, I'd say, the first four movies, even. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's some other movie with Bruce Willis where he goes to Russia and they kind of fuck up the entire entire I can't. I cannot. Okay. I saw that movie in the theater on opening day and I was so mad. I, I was I was pissed because like the trailer was awesome. It was a great I was, trailer. I was so fucking hyped. Hey, so that actually like I was thinking about this while I was watching the movie and I want to know what you thought about this. Like and granted, I wasn't thinking of the second movie because like I, if I had to tell you what happened that movie, like I don't know, he jumps on the plane. I, I don't know. Whatever. Kills a guy Ooh. with an icicle, Dave. Oh, God, that's not helping your case. <laughs> Um, but in one and three, he does a lot of like putting people of color in danger uh, in both of these movies. And it makes <sighs> you wonder how this would play. Like if, if these movies ever existed and the first Die Hard came out in 2020. Right. And then, you know, you have the Reginald Bill Johnson playing that character. And then this comes out, you know, Sam Jackson being in danger because he like did the right thing and was kind to a racist as far as he knew. Right. So it's like, now he's just putting this person of color in danger again and again and again. It's something that I never really put together as I watched them when I was younger, but I was like, yeah, he really is. If you're black, do not hang out with Bruce Willis because you are, you're going to be in dangerous situations. Like whether you're talking about his limo driver, whether you're talking about another cop, whether you're talking about Zeus, like, it's just like, it's a bad scene for you. Don't hang out with Bruce. Well, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that. I think it would play fine, if not even better, in a to a modern audience, precisely because of the way that McTiernan handles it. Um, all the black characters in his movie, 
they are unapologetically black. And on mm-hmm. top of that, they are some of the most competent people in the movie. True. You know? Oh, I think he's definitely smarter than McClane. There you go. Uh, I don't and think he's even close. He's surrounded by all these, you know, um, upper status, you know, career cops, these white dudes, uh, by comparison, who are absolute morons. And he is here, this uh, emotionally vulnerable, but still, you know, uh, powerful in that sense, this black man. And he's the one who who gets McLean through some of those harder moments. You yeah. know, and I don't think McLean probably could have done half as much as he did without somebody on the other end of that walkie talkie. Uh, and mm. it's, again, with Argyle, you know, Argyle in the beginning, you know, you, it's easy to kind of dismiss him out of hand as, you know, the annoying limo driver. But he's, you know, very generous to McLean's character. And even when shit goes south, he sticks around and he's, yeah. you know, he he kind of does a badass thing there. And then even in Die Hard with a Vengeance, you know, McLean. He's kind of he's likable like a mangy dog, but if you met yes. McCle- if you met McLean in real life in that character, you'd probably fucking hate him. Oh you yeah, know? he all you know, his cops buddies do. I, I don't <laughs> I don't want to think about John McLean in the internet era with access to Facebook and you know all all the bullshit we've been through for the past four years. I don't want to see that John McLean. Mm, no, you know? I don't no. I don't want to know what he thinks about all this shit. You know, so. Um, <laughs> Back then, you know, it's easy for me to watch even now because when John McClane says some out-of-pocket shit, like, you don't like because you're a racist, he looks like an idiot, you know? Yes, yes. And Samuel L. Jackson's <laughs> character is- cons- I love that his reaction to that is just, what? <laughs> what? He's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Dumbass. You know, Samuel L. Jackson's character throughout the entire movie is portrayed as intelligent and uh, ex- exceptionally competent and smart. You know, and he gets them out of, you know, there's no movie without him. You said it yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's on equal footing with Bruce Willis, despite not being a household name, really, at this point in his career. And he carries the movie. He carries their dynamic. And he saves McLean's ass multiple times throughout the movie. You know, and I think one of the things that I find endearing at this point, you know, a lot of people said, you know, this movie is outdated race politics. These guys, even at the time, they're kind of dinosaurs, you know, McLean mm. is at that point where, you know, in about 10 years, he'll probably be thinking about retirement. You know, this is a guy with some probably very outdated values, you know, sure. and uh, Samuel Jackson's character comes from probably a, a, a very old guard sensibility, you know, and he, he steps out to save him. He's like, you know, I didn't save you. I stopped a white man from getting killed in Harlem, you mm-hmm. know. So these are two dinosaurs, uh, not quite, you know, geriatric, but two guys, the very outdated opinions or old opinions who are sort of sparring through the course of the movie. It reminds me of watching two uncles sort of like bicker at each other the whole time. You know, they might say some shit that's not exactly PC, but I think the film is in on it. The film is aware that these guys kind of sound like buffoons every now and then, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was also just thinking about like what we were talking about with, you know, Reginald Bill Johnson being much smarter than John McClane. And I think mm-hmm. this is what this is what makes McClane interesting to me, at least up through like the first, I don't know, three and a half movies, yeah. I guess, is that he's not smart. He's no. not the best cop. He's not a good person. Yeah. Um, he is just a force of will. He just won't yeah. give up. Yeah. That's what sets him apart is that, you know, okay, I got to walk across, literally walk across broken glass. Okay. I'm going to do that. Yeah. I got to, you know, uh, make this, uh, make this truck like, uh, like a surfboard to get out of this. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. And he just, he never gives up, even though there's every reason to, yeah. which is why this movie pushing him to, to think on his feet um, is a really interesting choice because yeah. they very, and I think this is why this movie stands out um, as being, you know, the best or the second best of the franchise yeah. is that it it's the only way that really asks him to stretch. Cause yeah. if you look at the fourth movie, there's all the, you know, the Kevin Smith scenes with him as the, you know, the star hacker or whatever. And it's very much, you know, the old man just kind of looking down and being like, ah, oh, what is this bullshit? I don't care. Just fix it. <laughs> um, whereas this is him actually trying. And him actually trying to have a relationship with Zeus's character and like work together. Like there's a couple moments 
where later in the movie, especially by the time you get to the the water jug sequence, where they yeah. care about one another. Yeah, it's absolutely. no longer I'm only doing this because I because this madman wants me to. Right. right? I'm yeah. doing this because this is the right thing, and they really hammer that point home where Zeus says, you know, some kids could find that, and he's like, yeah, you're right. And they're like, ah, damn it. And so hop back over the fence and deal with it. And from that point on, Zeus is in. Yeah. Zeus is John's friend now. Yep. He is putting himself in danger. And he kind of like flat out says it where he's like, you know, I don't hate you because I hate white people. I hate you because you're going to get me killed. Yeah. Like this is a bad situation we're in, but I'm willing to do that with you because I have become close to you. And I want to see this through not only for the world, for my neighborhood, but for you. Because uh-huh. I actually care about you. And when you find out all that stuff about, you know, him not calling his wife back, I love Sam, it's maybe my favorite Sam Jackson moment where he's just like dying laughing. He's like, oh, yeah, I bet you think it's her fault, too. You know, and, and that whole like, well, she's a very difficult woman. Like those two, like that's like that's the moment where I'm like, oh, they're friends. Yeah. Like this is how you treat your friends. When your friend does yeah. something stupid, you're the only one who's going to call them out. Yeah. You know, and you have that with these two. Absolutely. And and I think it, it definitely goes to show that John McClane, even though he's a bit wrongheaded sometimes, he can be an affable character because he yep. does he does listen to other people, you know, even though he's he's a bit of uh, a jerk sometimes, he's a bit stubborn and hard headed. Yeah. But because I he think did, he knows he's stupid yeah, too. Yeah, like he I knows he he's does. not the smartest guy in the room. So he's like, Okay, let's figure this out. Please help me. Because yeah. I, you know, that scene in the car where he's like, I know what you know. I, this, these are the bare, I know nothing else and yeah. he has to be filled in by yeah. someone else and I think in the movies the movie well yeah the movies they do a pretty good job of not making him into a into a cartoon you know not making him inept you know he's he's still there's a reason why he's at the center of these movies his character you know and he does he occasionally has some good ideas like you said like uh, McTiernan made him a thinking man's hero he's not all brawn and part of his you know intelligence is being able to accept when somebody else knows something better and sometimes it's those you know you know just crazy harebrained ideas that actually work like like the ambulance you know like following the ambulance um he just sees things in in a different way and that's why you know he often ends up in these situations but more than that like i love in the fourth movie where they actually address this head on there's a scene with him and Justin Long in the car and Justin Long remarks. He goes, you know, oh, he's like, are you scared? He's like, because you really don't seem scared. He goes, no, I'm terrified. He goes, you look really calm right now. He goes, I'd, I'd give anything to be like you, like that guy. And he goes, look, he's like, the only reason that I'm that guy is because I act when I see something. You know, I'm, I'm at the right, you know, I'm in the right place at the wrong time. That's what makes me that guy because mm-hmm. I act. You know, I know that somebody's life's going to be in danger and I, you know, I do what I do just to prevent, you know, harm. And that's what makes me that guy. And I think, you know, not not to get off topic of the third movie, but I think the fourth movie understood that they still had to escalate the stakes as a big summer action blockbuster spectacle thing. But I think the fourth movie still understood the nature of John's character. They still went out of their way at times to ground him. Yeah, I agree. I just wish the the movie itself understood that. Like, I feel like the the writing of the dialogue understands that, but yeah. the set pieces don't. The yeah. set pieces become a like, let's throw everything because there's a need to, you know, bring things higher with every movie. Yeah. But when you do that, then it makes everything else he's gone through seem small. And then it, it takes away all risk, all stakes for that yeah. moment. Yeah. Right. And that that is the problem that the fourth movie has. It's a movie I enjoy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like Justin Long. I like Timothy Oliphant. I even like Kevin Smith in that movie. It's an enjoyable performance. But it like it goes too far into that like indestructible man, which is exactly what John McClane wasn't. Yeah. That's what made him great is that he wasn't indestructible. He wasn't Arnold in Commando. He was a normal cop. In, in an overwhelming situation and listened to the right people <coughs> and and made sacrifices, right? Yeah, absolutely. Whereas in later movies, it's like, there's no sacrifices anymore. It's just like, well, they're going to shoot a, you know, I'm going to go, I think in one of the movies, don't they go to like a, um, like a nuclear site? Like, it's just like, okay, all right, let's stop. Can we just stop and start <laughs> over? Because we have gone way too far. And now he's in uh, car battery commercials. 
Yeah. That's where we are with John McClane. I miss this version of John McClane. And, you know, I, I definitely agree. And, uh, that somebody, I saw an article and it was like, Charlize Theron wants to make, you know, a lesbian diehard movie. And I love Charlize Theron. I'm all for having more lesbian movies out there, you know, but not Charlize Theron in a diehard movie. She has already fashioned a career out of being a badass. She was Furiosa for fuck's sake. Nobody's going to look at her and see somebody vulnerable or like an every woman, you know? I mean, I'm not saying yeah. she doesn't have the range. Oh, yeah. Well, like, I mean, I hear what you're saying. Like vulnerable, maybe certainly not in every woman. It's very hard for I mean, she is genetically blessed um that is one of the best looking people i've ever seen in my life the only time she wasn't is when they covered her with you know 25 pounds of makeup and monster um and i i really like the action movie she already did i'm not talking about mad max everybody likes mad max Uh, who cares uh but you know the other movie she did with the director of john wick it's fucking fantastic it's great i i wish that movie had done better so we could have five of those that would be wonderful uh but i hear what you're saying it would be uh i think it would be a tough leap for an audience to think of her as just like a normal you know, normal police detective that it would take she's got the range but it would take some real work to make that happen and I think that's, that's also what I'm hearing. Joe hates queer people. That's that's what this is about. He I hates hate lesbians. No, he hates lesbians. No, he no. want this movie. I would absolutely be down for a lesbian diehard movie. But the, the lead actress has to be unassuming because at this point in Bruce Willis's career, when he did the first one, he was an unassuming guy. He was not an action star. You know, the, the I mean, di- yes, and, yes and no. He was not an action star, but I don't think we can say he was unassuming. Well, not assuming. I mean, I mean, he was a star like like Moonlighting had already been around. He was a fan favorite by women who watch that show, especially. I I mean, (laughs) Dave, Dave, I mean, in in the realm of action movies, you know, the 80s was the domain of Schwarzenegger and Stallone and, and, you know, later on Van Damme. So when, when you had this big budget, you know, action movie, you know, casting a guy like Bruce Willis straight out of TV you know, studio execs wanted somebody with more, you know, muscle, somebody with more, you know, physical presence in that, in that sense, like a Schwarzenegger type character, uh, actor. And he wasn't that he was the opposite. He was much more of a charismatic personality, you know, from moonlighting, you know, he had a different fan base, you know, it it wasn't the action heads that were, you know, hungry for a Bruce Willis movie. It didn't happen. So if you're going to put somebody in a new diehard, whether it's a woman or or a lesbian woman or whoever it is, they have to come from that type of setting. Like, oh, perfect example, the way that they just cast Bob Odenkirk in Nobody. Mm. You know, I've heard nothing but good things about that. And people are stunned that they've turned him into an action star. That's the kind of shit that's impossible with Bruce Willis now, precisely because he's become that Superman character after so many fucking diehard movies. Oh, yeah, totally agree. And it's it's interesting. This is one of the few times we are living in the right timeline uh, because both Arnold and Sly Stallone turned down the role of John McClane. Yeah. Um, And I think I think I don't think that movie is anywhere near as good. It probably would have made, you know, probably the same amount of money. It probably would have made a lot of money. But I don't think looking back, we would think of this as like the best of the genre. Like, I can't think of it. I think I truly think Die Hard is the best action movie ever made. Like I, you know, like you can argue, you know, Mad Max Fury Road. Um, I like Mad Max Fury Road a lot, but from a character perspective, I like Die Hard a lot better. Um, there's there's a lot more going on there, I think. Uh, and plot wise, there's more yeah. going on. I just think it's it's just about the perfect action film. But I think yeah. if you put someone who is six foot three and 280 pounds of muscle, I don't think that movie holds up. I, I think it becomes a little bit silly. Right. Yeah. Because because he becomes the superhero that John McClane unfortunately became four movies later. I think Stallone could have done it in the way that he he proved it to everybody. He can't act he is like short, Copland. So you know, and I, I think he could have avoided taking the muscle brawn route. You know, and again, he was in you know First Blood at that time. You know, that was more of a thinking man's movie as well. Oh yeah. So there, there's there's definitely more to Stallone than his public image led on in the eighties. Um, after you know Rocky sequels and fighting this guy, fighting that guy. You know, <laughs> 
fighting the entire country of Vietnam, there was there was more to Stallone than just that. So I think, you know, in in, in some other messed up timeline, it, oh, in the last action hero timeline, there you go. Uh, he he probably could have carried Die Hard. It probably would not have been as memorable because of Bruce Willis is just snarky, you know, acidic wit. Uh, I think really does a lot for his character in that movie. But I, I think McTiernan knew what he was doing enough that he could have made it work with somebody else. But yeah. I'm glad he didn't have to. I'm glad it was Bruce Willis in the role in that one and in all of these. And I think that it's a testament to their collaborations that the first and the third are the best, you know? Yep. yep. Um, and, and even though we disagree on the second one, uh, I think it's more important that we both acknowledge that the first and the third are the best, you know? Yeah, and that we don't need the second one to watch the third one. It's true. We don't. No. (laughs) Yes. We don't. (laughs) Someday, someday for you, Joe, I will rewatch that movie and I'll give it another try, but I don't see this going well for you. Here's the two things that I think also tie back to our previous episode. We've had two movies now with stellar examples of uh, male friendship. Uh, Very well done. And I was mentioning in our podcast of The Exorcist 3 that I have a very unique way of approaching sequels. I think when a director tries to sort of imitate or follow up the style of a different director, a more talented director before him, you know, the movie ends up being a bit of a retread, no matter what sequel it is. Mm-hmm. And if it's going that route, I have to appreciate it or I have to engage with it on a more base level, right? Die Hard 2 is not better than Die Hard in anything, but it is bigger. It is louder. And as far as action movie goes, the, the set pieces are still fantastic. Uh, like you said, you consider Die Hard to be one of the best action movies, if not the best action movie, because of its character beats. So I can absolutely understand 100% why coming from that to this is a drop in quality. And thankfully for both of us, there's Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, thank God. Thank God. Thank God for that. <laughs> so, Joe, on our next episode, I am, I'm going to keep it in the same genre. Okay. And do another action franchise. Okay. Um, this franchise, though, you're not going to be able to use, you're like, oh, this is how I look at sequels. Oh, because boy. all three of them, I believe, have the same director. Oh, boy. Um, so what we're going to take a look at is a movie from 2007, The Bourne Ultimatum. Uh, directed oh, by Paul yeah. Greengrass. And I believe he did all three of the first three of those movies. He did not. Oh, did, first... he, did he not do the second one? No, the first one was Doug Lyman. <laughs> oh, you're right. It, you're right. It was. Yeah, it didn't yeah. get good until Paul Greengrass showed up. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. I look forward to talking about that one. That one. That, yeah. That'll, that'll yeah. Be so, the, so the Matt Damon uh, vehicle, loosely, very loosely based on the Robert Ludlum books. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the Bourne Ultimatum next time. Fantastic.